Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mass Film Room Podcast. I am your host, Jay Apaji. It is Sunday, November 6th, 2022 at 9.19 p.m. Central Daylight Time, I guess is what it's called now, or is it Central Standard Time? I don't know, but basically it's 9.20 p.m., so that's what matters. I'm joined here with Rohan, and we're about to talk about the week that was for the Mavericks, in which they notched a couple wins since the last time that we did a podcast. Uh, We podcasted last Monday, I believe, uh, which was the day after the Mavericks got a win against the Orlando Magic at home. Since then, they defeated the Red Hot Utah Jazz at home 103-100 to on Wednesday, and then they played the Raptors last Friday and beat them 111-110 to in a really impressive victory despite the narrow final score. And so things seem to be moving in the right direction for the Mavericks, at least after this week. They're 3-0 and in their last three games, and now they look ahead to the next week in which they're going to play the Nets, Magic, Wizards, Trailblazers. So that's a that's a good stretch of games for the Mavericks to try and rack up some more wins. Uh, they're 5-3 and three on the season now, and maybe some of these early season concerns that we had are kind of slowly being... Uh, being quelled but only time will tell but first rohan how's it going man good to have you on the podcast again uh thanks thanks for that jay yeah it's it's really good to you know be doing weekly podcasts again it's very fun uh this week was definitely the most fun week to watch the Mavs so far (laughs) um but i'm weirdly confident going into into this next few games purely because of that yeah, I think we saw a lot of good stuff uh, here in the last week or so uh, from the Mavericks. And I think uh, a good place to dive in really is the new starting lineup that debuted uh, on Friday against the Raptors. But it really stemmed from something that happened in the game against Utah last Wednesday. Um, JaVale McGee started that game and the Mavericks went with that starting lineup of Luca, Spencer Dinwiddie, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith and JaVale McGee. However, uh, an interesting uh, thing in that game was that the first big man off the bench for the Mavericks was not Christian Wood in that game. Uh, It was Dwight Powell, who, you know, had, uh, of course, started the game last Saturday, uh, or I guess two Saturdays ago against OKC. Um, And he came in immediately and made an impact in that game against Utah because the Mavericks uh, got off to a really sluggish start in that game. Uh, I think after the first quarter, they were down by like, 10 points and I think at one point in the first half they went down by 13 or 14 so uh, things weren't going good for the Mavericks in that game but as soon as Dwight Powell entered the game uh, I don't remember at what point in the game he did but I think it was early in the in the first quarter uh, the Mavericks or in the second quarter rather the Mavericks looked uh, a lot better and I think he was a game high plus 25 in that so just really shows you the impact that he had um, and after the game, of course, uh, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie went on like a, a four minute uh, monologue about how valuable uh, Dwight Powell is to the Mavericks and how much he admires him for what he does. Uh, being a guy who was a 82 game starter uh, for the Mavericks last season and then as well started all the playoff games. Um, and then he came into this season basically as the the last big on the depth chart. Uh, he got a, racked up some DNPs early in the year, but now it seems like he's back to being uh, a regular contributor to the Mavericks. And he started the game on Friday against uh, Toronto. And so 
as we kind of talked about on the last episode, maybe we were too quick to count out Dwight Powell, and it appears to be the case. Yeah. Even when the box score doesn't necessarily treat him kindly in retrospect, he's just so engaged constantly on the floor. And that goes back to what Spencer was saying about him post that game. It's it's difficult. I mean, we've definitely seen it in the past half decade of of guys, not just on the Mavericks, but across the league, who uh who get play in a, in another season, they come into a come into a brand new season of basketball and they're not given the same amount of runtime as they were given before. And it's very easy to let that hit your emotions and to wallow in to wallow in that feeling but Dwight is one of those guys that's just always ready um even when he's not able to contribute with like a high rebound total or like a lot of rim running he's just constantly able to make the right pass um when he's given the ball for those two seconds um and really it's it's something that we as fans take for granted his IQ, his acumen, and his willingness to just be a part of the team. So, yeah, him starting has definitely led to everybody seeming like they're on the same page more. Um, that being said, I do understand fans that still think, oh, Christian Wood is, is a better scorer, he's, he's a better star, he's I don't know, more talented or more skilled. Um, in certain ways, and therefore we should be starting him. I can understand the argument, but in this case, you really do need somebody who's going to do all the little things for a lot of the game because outside of that, you have a lot of guys that can score from a lot of places on the court. But on that starting lineup, you have Dorian, Reggie, and Dwight, who are kind of your flex players. And that we saw last season helps really well. And I think the chemistry is really good. So I think it's also weirdly a test of Christian Wood to see how much of a of a team first guy he can be while still playing his game. Um, and I feel like if he does get to that point in a Mavericks uniform this season, we could see him starting. But right now, I think Dwight has earned it purely from being a team player. Yeah, it's very clear that Jason Kidd trusts Dwight Powell. Um, and I know that JaVale McGee was kind of brought into the Mavericks uh, as a guy that Jason Kidd uh, trusted from his days with the Lakers. But uh, obviously from last season, Dwight Powell is someone who started all 82 games, something that's increasingly rare uh, in this day and age in the NBA, uh, and started all the playoff games to him was a really valuable part of what the Mavericks did last year. Um, and yeah, to your point, I mean, he does everything that's asked for him. He does uh, whatever it takes to, you know, really bind the team together on the floor. I mean, he is a glue guy, which is kind of rare to to say for a big um, who's not necessarily a guy who's a three and D wing. I mean, when you think of glue guys, like that's kind of who you think of. But Dwight Powell is in a sense a calming presence for the Mavs on the floor. And it really just speaks to his ability to set hard screens and roll to the basket um, in a way that not many players can do. I mean, he is a really smart player. Uh, and you mentioned like making the right passes, like he's good at passing out of the short role. Um, but just in terms of someone who knows the right reads and knows how to 
roll to the basket and take the right angles. I mean, that's something that I expected from JaVale McGee. We hadn't seen it. Um, and I think that Dwight Powell just has opened up the offense, at least like in the small sample size that we've seen in the last two games. Uh, because Luca has such a reliable option to throw the lob to um, in a way that JaVale McGee was not providing. So I think that if he continues to start, hopefully the Mavericks will not be prone to the slow offensive starts that we have been uh, seeing these last few games. Um, I mean, yeah, there's really not that much more to say about Dwight Powell, except that he's really important to, to what they do. And at this point, like I'm not going to doubt him anymore because watching him play is actually really, uh, really fun because like not many teams have that kind of role man that that is able to catch it where he does um, and and throw down the dunk like he's always a threat for a lob on every possession um, and he's not the most, you know, physically gifted player in terms of having long arms, um, but he's a strong guy. Like he works out after every game. Um, and again, he's just extremely smart. So, uh, shout out to Dwight Powell. And I look forward to watching him catch more lobs from Luca, um, uh, and Spencer Dinwiddie too, but we got to talk about Christian Wood as part of this discussion as well, because, um, uh, can I say one thing about yeah, Dwight yeah. real quick, Go just for to it. cap it off. Yeah. Uh, obviously the IQ is something that we're going to, is that we're going to underrate, but he's also like, He's very active in the community. He is he is very well spoken and and he does a good job of representing and giving his time to things outside of basketball in the community. So he's really valuable to the organization, and he has been. So uh, I, on some level, there's like a level of goodwill that he's built up that it's very hard for any other player to measure up to. Um, but then pivoting into C Wood, I, I think things have been getting better on that end as well. So we'll see how quickly uh, the rotation kind of turns around. Yeah. Uh, Dwight Powell, beyond being a good basketball player, is a great, you know, member of the community. He's been here for, this is what, his ninth season in Dallas. Crazy. And of course, he's a leader on the team and probably should be on the leadership committee this season. Um, so there's that on Dwight. But yeah, I mean, Christian Wood, again, um, Things weren't looking good for him after that Oklahoma City game uh, in which he was left in to close the game uh, and the Mavericks subsequently fell apart. And Jason Kidd, uh, after the game, wasn't very kind in his assessment about how Christian Wood did, um, basically asking the media to ask him about why he left Christian Wood in the game and then essentially saying that it didn't go very well on both ends. Um so he called out Christian Wood after that game against OKC. Um, of course, a disastrous loss, as we already talked about. Um, and so when Dwight Powell came into the game before Christian Wood, it was definitely a, kind of an eye-opening moment. And I was kind of like, well, is this kind of the beginning of the end for Christian Wood in Dallas? Uh, is it over before it started? Uh, but to Christian Wood's credit in that game against Utah, in the second half, he really turned it on. Um he played with a lot of like energy and passion that we hadn't seen from him a ton this season. Um, you know, he was running the floor hard. Uh, he had one play where he got a rebound, went coast to coast, you know, dunked it. He had a putback dunk as well. Um, and really after every score, he was like pounding his chest and, and screaming. And that kind of energy uh, was great to see from him because ultimately it helped the Mavericks win. And he had a huge second half in that game. Uh, and once again, we were reminded of why uh, Christian Wood 
can potentially be so important uh, to this team. So I'm just curious to know, is this uh, the Christian Wood we're going to see going forward or is he going to have to constantly have a fire lit under him uh, to see this kind of uh, energy and enthusiasm on a consistent basis? I was saying that's a really good question. Uh, I would think and I would hope that individually this is the passion he's going to play with in the future. Um, I would say probably his biggest deficit on the court now that we're aggregating about nine games, has been his defense. But in these last two games, he's had a few spots where he's able to rotate at just the right time and he's put in the right position and he does the right thing. Uh, I think he had three total blocks in the Utah and uh, Toronto games uh, combined. Obviously, blocks aren't a metric of of huge defensive prowess, but it is it is an indicator that he made the right decision and timed it right on the interior on those moments. And like you were saying, in the Jazz game, it was mostly the second half. So those are big plays. Um, I think what's necessarily holding Christian Wood back is weirdly, and I don't like doing this, obviously, because it's not actually this way, but he's not as as effective of a, of a, of like a playmaker or like it, you can trust him on the floor as a scorer on offense, but if that shot isn't there for him, or if there's a guy on on the three that that gets let wide open because somebody rotated it onto him, I haven't seen anything in the eye test that demonstrates that he has that gear to him yet. He still seems like he's looking for his own bucket, which I get it. You're new to the team. You want to show what you can do. But on some level, I think with this coaching staff, it's also going to be you got to show that you are there for your teammates. Um, otherwise, it's going to be really hard to justify a consistent start over a guy like Dwight Powell when Dwight is just constantly able to do that as bread and butter. Um, not to say that Christian Wood isn't isn't uh, you know more effective. On the, on the offensive side of the floor, it's just Christian Wood is effective whether you bring him off the bench or whether you start him. So the reason why you would start him is because there is a negligible drop-off between everyone else's production, between you switching Dwight out for Christian Wood. Um, so in terms of what, going back to your question, in terms of what we can expect from him, I fully expect him to play with this passion. Because I, I feel like I feel like the whole team kind of depends on that from all of their guys. Um, but I think there are other gears that Christian Wood has that he needs to he needs to kind of be getting consistent minutes, know where he is in the rotation, even if he's not a starter, so that he can play with that passion, know what his offensive role is, and then start to do things outside of that. I'd say maybe the biggest glaring weaknesses in these last few games that he's played really well in uh, are his turnovers. And obviously he's not being dependent on the playmake, but it's a large amount of turnovers for a guy who doesn't get the ball that much. Um, that's going to be something that I hope he spends more time watching film for. But yeah. largely I, I think it doesn't, it doesn't change his effectiveness, whether you start him or whether you take him off the bench as long as you keep him in the game with Luca in that fourth quarter. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. And I mean, it's still clear that uh, he's earning the trust of, of Jason Kidd because, you know, his minutes 
per game is still at 25 uh, for the season. And I mean, even these last two games, uh, I think he played 23 against Utah and then 22 against uh, Toronto or something like that. So it's still not like a ton of minutes. Uh, the Mavericks have been winning. So I think ultimately that's the only thing that matters. But uh, it is important that he know where he is in the rotation uh, for this to really work out. And hopefully it'll become clear. I mean, hopefully that game against Utah was a springboard um, for, uh, you know, for him to to really play well for the rest of the season um, and earn the trust of Jason Kidd. Because, I mean, as we see, when Christian Wood is on, it's a really exciting thing. Um, and it just, I think, takes the Mavericks' potential to a level that uh, was not there before. Um, but again, it doesn't matter if he... Do, none of that matters, I guess, like if he doesn't have the trust of the coaching staff. So... Uh, here's to to hoping that this last week was kind of a, um, you know, the the rebirth of Christian Wood, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I think it was definitely a step in the right direction um, for Seawood and the coaching staff. Let's uh, let's talk about Josh Green because I think he's been the unsung hero of the last few games uh, for the Mavericks. Uh, Big time. Yeah, he had a great game against Toronto. Um, had seven points, uh, hit all three of his shots, and hit his one three pointer. Uh, had a really exciting dunk in that game. I mean, his dunks on the break look amazing. And then against Utah, too, he was solid. I mean, only six points, but two of three from the field in just 18 minutes uh, was a plus eight in that game. Uh, it's very clear that he brings a lot of energy and dynamism to the Mavericks um, and can be inserted in any lineup uh, and make it, make an impact, especially because they're struggling um, at the wing right now getting production from Tim Hardaway and Reggie Bullock who are not really shooting up to the to their standards. And so Josh Green has just kind of been a breath of fresh air for the Mavericks who historically have not played very fast. Um, and now with him in the game, uh, anytime he's on the break, you know, something exciting is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking about Josh Green obviously since he got drafted and what we like about him and what we really see him developing into, it's just really gratifying to see his energy get channeled in such an effective way. And I think especially over these last five games, maybe you can definitely see a progression in not just his confidence, which is there now, but in how much others are relying on him and are able to depend on him. Uh, and on top of that, I mean, if we're talking specifically about that Utah game, he had three pretty big steals. Like, his his defense and his activity is great. Obviously, he had five personal fouls that game. But honestly, in that, in that game against the Jazz, I honestly give that as a credit to Josh because that's a tough team to defend. They got a lot of guys that you're just going to get switched onto, and they can all score. They can all create a shot. It's pretty difficult. Uh, to to be playing against that team and to be in foul trouble and still not be afraid of, you know, getting your hands stuck in the cookie jar, so to speak, uh, says a lot. Going to what you said, his speed, man, I just love, I love players who are fast. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, <laughs> I just love watching guys who can run like a deer um, or a gazelle. Cause yeah, that, that dunk, uh, I want to say, in the Raptors game, right? That yeah, yeah. That is one of those that like I'm going to continue going back to. It's honestly on the tier of that Jamal Murray reverse dunk that happened the same week for me. It's just there on my highlight list. Um, 
I mean, he but looks like activity. Prime Westbrook when he has those breakaway dunks, the way he just like cocks it back and throws it down. Oh, yeah. Honestly, speed. I would say his his finishing um, does remind me of Westbrook a lot, especially in the early years, because if he's not dunking it, it seems like it could be a little out of control or maybe like the angle for the release isn't as uh, polished as maybe a, a an MVP Westbrook was. But his ability to just get above the rim or, you know, double a guy very quickly, grab the ball and just, you know, wrestle for it. I think that that rugby background comes into a lot of handy now. There's also an element with Josh Green that he hasn't been playing basketball for as long as even a guy like Joel Embiid was before he got drafted. So it was really a case of this was like his second or third sport. And then he got drafted to the league and he, his skills had to like follow his physical profile. And so we're kind of seeing his, his skills come into, into shape. I mean, his ability to hit these corner threes consistently is coming along rather well. I think this is what year three for him. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So in, in that case, I think a lot of this goes back to stuff that he was saying in exit interviews last year, and that was when that shot's hitting, he feels confident that he'll be able to help the team. I feel like this season, I fully expect him to like end the season as a, as a completely different contributor than he started the season out as, and that's very exciting. It is exciting to kind of watch his development, and you know now when he's in the game, uh, and when he shoots, like I have a lot of confidence in him, which was not the case last season. I like I want him to take more shots because I just think that um, as a young guy, like the more confidence he gets, the more he's going to be able to contribute meaningfully for the Mavericks uh, going forward this season, and the more likelihood that he'll be a different player finishing the season than he was starting, and. Just his activity on 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 both ends, but especially on defense, flying around the court, like again, that kind of dynamism is something the Mavericks lack uh, in their wing position group and really across their roster. I mean, he's a smart player as we've seen uh, these last few years, um, and now it's nice to see him putting it together. Uh, I think the next step for him is really like now adding the volume to it. Uh, can he continue this impact at greater volume, you know, as in taking more shots and making more shots, playing more minutes, uh, just doing more with the ball in his hands? Because I think he's capable of it. Like, he may never be a Desmond Bain type scorer, uh, but that's okay. That's not really who he is as a player, and that's not really what the Mavericks need him to be as a player. Uh, but if he can continue to do this and improve and expand his game, I mean, uh, again, we've talked about it a lot. Like that's the best case scenario for both him and for the Mavs. Yeah, um, especially uh, bringing up the Desmond Bain comparison. I know that's something. Obviously, fans and us to some extent have made that comparison in the past. Um, yeah, it his defensive activity is something that we've maybe always taken for granted, and fans have always recognized that he was constantly active in defending the team's better score, uh, the opposing team's better scores, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it always was an issue, especially last season and in the playoffs, especially where he would get an open three and he would just brick it or airball it. And then it just became a thing where his momentum was kind of gone. And then obviously if you're, if you're, if you don't have that confidence in that shot, and you miss it, 
and you're in a higher stakes playoff game, it's very unlikely the ball comes back to you in that position again. Um, and if it does and your confidence is off, it's also very unlikely that you take a good shot or or you don't hesitate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, his ability to, to dribble around and, and his playmaking potential has been clear since he got drafted. It's just not a thing that he's had the ability to develop in a lineup. And I think to some extent, he still won't get that opportunity that much this year. Um, I think where I expect him to grow and progress is taking those threes from other parts of the floor. He can hit those corner threes, but those are the shortest and easiest threes to make. Now it's a question of, can he do that from the wing? Um, And can he be a guy that the team throws the pass to to bail them out at the end of the clock? Because you know how the Mavs love doing that. So if that's the case, I mean, he, he can definitely get more play uh, and, and he can progress even farther than we expect. But on the flip side, I think it's more likely that, especially if the maps rattle off a lot of wins, that he gets more considerable playing time in garbage time or in, in time where the Mavs have a lead already. And so he doesn't have as much pressure put on him. And in that case, I think we might see more of his playmaking chops come uh, come into the forefront. Unfortunately, Jaden Hardy uh, got sent down to the G League, but I would love to see both of them together in those garbage time minutes. Just because going back to the beginning of the season, I think they just fit really well. But uh, I, I think if Josh Green maybe gets more playing time throughout the season with starting lineup and with some of the starters when he comes off the bench, him and Tim, I think can work a little better than anyone expects it to, because not only on paper, but also in just the way they play, Tim can take a couple dribbles and and do some of the shot creator stuff. He can definitely take the ball to the basket. And Josh definitely has the physical profile as well as just enough skills to where they being on the court together can help each other a lot. Um, but we have yet to see them be in lineups together that much. So I'm excited to see that with Josh Green, especially Um, as fans start to love him more and more. We're also seeing the coaching staff's confidence in him as it's built over the last few seasons pay off. So I hope that that never reverses. Yeah. um, I'm glad you mentioned the the part about him uh, being able to hit threes from other spots on the floor, because yeah, he's gotten pretty proficient at the corner three, uh, which is something that he was mildly good at last season. Uh, but I do think that his chance to contribute more for the Mavericks will come uh, if he's able to hit the threes from the wings um, or the top of the key. That will really be a case for him to play more minutes because then, you know, you can you don't have to, like, confine him to the corner. Uh, he can move around on offense uh, and the defense will have to stay honest on him. And, you know, even on that note, like, I think Josh Green is kind of in in the season right now where defenses might take it easy on him and give him a little bit more space to shoot, uh, kind of like we saw with Dorian Finney-Smith the last few years. Now, last season, he proved uh, to be a pretty uh, proficient shooter to where defenses are covering him a lot uh, a lot tighter now, and so he's not quite getting the shots that he used to. Uh, but right yeah. now, Josh Green you know, doesn't have the pedigree of being a, a – knockdown shooter so he's gonna have the opportunity now so hopefully as the season progresses he's able to 
you know, hit threes from different spots on the floor and also continue to uh, put the ball on the floor because, uh, I mean, Luke has been driving the ball a lot this season. Um, and, you know, we talk about a lot how the Mavericks don't have a ton of players who can drive. Uh, but Jason Kidd has always emphasized like two feet in the paint and good things happen after that. Um, and so far, there hasn't been too much uh, evidence to suggest that he's wrong about that. I mean, anytime you can get into the paint, uh, whether it's a drive and kick or taking it up uh, for the layup and trying to draw a foul, usually good things happen when you can get in the paint. And Josh Green is a player uh, who's pretty good at doing that. So I'm excited to see how he progresses uh, this season. Yeah. Um, I just looked it up. I was going to say that off the top of my head that Josh Green is 6'6", so he's, he's a good size um, but no, he's six seven, uh, which is crazy. Um, I was gonna say the other the other thing about him making threes from let's say the wing or the top of the key is also he's a pretty good rebounder for his size, and also because of his speed, that will allow him to even if he misses a shot, he can still stay engaged and get an offensive rebound or two. Right now, we see his defensive rebound numbers are a lot higher. And I think that's purely because of the shots that he's able to take. Also, going based off of what you said to kind of close the thought, uh, I believe in the Warriors series last year, there were a lot of instances where he was being dared to shoot as the last guy. So like Draymond or somebody would keep him open in the corner and then Green would take a shot. And there were a few bad misses in some of those playoff series. As, as much of a progression as there was for him in making those corner threes he still wasn't doing it consistently but this year it seems like it's that work has paid off so even if he doesn't necessarily start making threes from other points on the court I think he's infinitely more viable in a playoff series now that he can hit that corner three and hit that consistently yeah I think that's pretty well said all right, last thing I want to talk about in this episode is Spencer Dinwiddie, who I think deserves a lot of credit for where the Mavericks are right now uh, and deserves a lot of praise for how he's handled his uh, his role this season. Because outside of Luka, I don't think there's another player on, on this roster being asked to do as much as he is um, contributing as a starter, uh, as well as being asked to lead the bench units in very critical stretches of the game. Uh, and so far, Spencer Dinwiddie has stepped up to the challenge um, you know, I tweeted out his uh, statistics a few days ago. I think since then they've changed a little bit. Um, but just to give a rundown of what he's doing this season, 17.3 points per game. Uh, he's shooting 48% from the field, uh, shooting 42% from three. You know, he's dishing out four assists per game, 2.6 rebounds per game, uh, and is playing 33 minutes per game almost, which is a career high. Uh, the 17.3 points per game that he's scoring this year is his best scoring season since 2019-20 when he averaged 20.6 points per game. Uh, that was, of course, the the shortened COVID year. Uh, but a lot of people felt that he should have been an all-star that season. So uh, Dinwiddie's been playing great for the Mavericks. Uh, you know, of course, he does have his moments where uh, you're scratching your head about what he's doing. But overall, like... Uh, we talk about the Mavericks replacing Jalen Brunson, and from a numbers perspective, uh, he is making that loss a little bit easier to stomach. Um, so got to give Dinwiddie his flowers and hope that uh, this continues to a reasonable degree going forward. 
Yeah, uh, really well said. In that Utah game, he had a decent number of assists, and then in that Toronto game, he had seven. So he had more assists in that game. Um, For some reason, my box score statistics on the Utah game just look weird. It says that he has nine assists, but another page says that he had five. So I'm just going to go with the fact that he had five. Um, From the eye test, though, it seems to be, we were talking about this in the last episode, um, where the Mavs just need a guy who can be the ball handler like Luka has been in past seasons, where they're looking for their shot, but less so because they're not Luka Doncic and aren't like one of the best scorers, playmakers, rebounders, everything in the league. Um, And that's not to rag on Spencer's skills relative to anyone, but he has a lot of the same capabilities that Luka has in being, let's say, a two or three level scorer, being able to rebound the ball, being a very good guy at drives. I mean, he it's like two dribbles. Like he, his wingspan is gigantic. And he, in two strides, he can be from the three-point line to the basket. Um, his floater game is great. And as a playmaker, he's honestly shown me things this season that I didn't think he had in him, weirdly enough. And I don't know why I didn't think he, he had that in him, because in Brooklyn, when I went back and looked at the statistics in the film, it was very evident that, that he could replace what Jalen Brunson, uh, what Jalen Brunson was doing for the Mavericks last season in a slightly larger role. In that Toronto game, I think he was just a revelation. I mean, his ability to just control the pace of the game with these shifty moves into a sidestep three, um, contested shots that still went in, his ability to draw fouls going in, um, his ability to see guys on the other side of the floor when he's driving on the left side, kick it out to the right side. I mean, there's just a lot of intangible benefit that Spencer Dinwiddie gives the Dallas Mavericks. Um, I will say, I think there are some solid limitations in terms of his uh, in-between scoring ability, but I don't think that's a major issue considering he's playing with Tim uh, and Luca, who both are just killing it um, just in those one or two steps in both last year for Tim, but this year for Luca is he's just been crazy. So it's, there's, there's really not a lot I can, I can say about Spencer Dinwiddie that is not nitpicking. Um, I, I think especially he's done a great job of getting guys involved and being kind of an on, on court coach um, and, and just directing the floor. He's gotten a lot better at that early this season than he was even last season. I'm excited to see that where that goes, but I'm also excited to see where he can where he can take his individual game if guys like Josh Green are able to step up in more of a playmaking capacity where he doesn't have to, you know, be both uh, a bona fide scorer, he meaning Spencer Dinwiddie, doesn't have to be a bona fide three-level scorer as well as that playmaker at all times where he can depend on another guy. And I think if he's able to do that, we'll see his his numbers go up even higher because 
he's a very cerebral offensive player. I think he reminds me of Luca in the way that Luca's a gamer. Spencer is also a gamer. Like you can see him toying with his defender in a lot of those moments, especially when Luca's on the bench in that Toronto game. So I'm looking forward to more of it. Um, I also just going back to the Dwight Powell thing slightly. I I loved him saying that. I mean that is I uh, I get the I, I get I get that it doesn't really matter who does it on the team as long as somebody's giving him credit. But that's one of those things that I'm looking for Luca to kind of start doing as the year goes on. I know in the beginning of the season I, I tweeted from the Mavs film room account that I love how he's been developing as more of a leader for his guys and giving his guys more credit. Um, th- I saw this as Spencer showing his leadership. Um, but I want to see that more from Luca, weirdly enough. Like, I want to see him giving those guys his just desserts because, especially with a guy like Dwight, that's a guy that's been there since even before Luca was drafted here. So I don't know how I got from Spencer Dinwiddie to Luca, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but he definitely is. Uh, a revelation and uh, a little bit taken for granted in terms of his skill set. Um, but he's making it easier to not have a guy like Jalen Brunson on this team to the point where I think it's almost negligible. And the Mavs just, just need one or two more guys to show up in some of those closer games for it to be a more resounding victory. Yeah, I mean, Dinwiddie has played really well, especially with the starters. I think um, he plays his role perfectly with Luka on the floor. And that's important. I mean, that's something that Jalen Brunson got really good at doing. And Dinwiddie's not the same player as Brunson uh, by any stretch of the means. But uh, if he can, if he can, you know, contribute in ways that that Luka uh, is able to maximize his skill set, I think that's really what matters. And hopefully the Mavericks at some point this season can acquire another ball handler so that uh, it sort of relieves uh, Dinwiddie of some of the pressure that he has when Luca is not on the floor. Um, but yeah, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie deserves a lot of credit right now and a lot of appreciation for uh, not only how well he's played, but how consistently he's played as a member of the Mavericks. I mean, his numbers from this season are not that much different uh, than his numbers in the 23 regular season games he played with them last season. Uh and so, you know, I always wanted Spencer Dinwiddie on the Mavericks for the last few years. I'm glad it happened, and I'm glad it's working out so well right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, going off of what you were saying with his play with the starters, I think that's the other thing that that kind of resembles Jalen and Luca on this team in the past, where he's able to play very effectively regardless of the guys that's around him. But he also very clearly changes his role and responsibility as guys are taken out of the lineup it's just he he's he's very much able to manage things um as lineups change and so one of the things we've been talking about on on the podcast these last few weeks has been rotations and how those rotations affect the on-floor product i think guys like seawood guys like dwight powell guys like spencer guys like Josh really, really help um, that transition because of the non-overlapping or sorry, because of the overlapping skill sets of some of those guys, but also because both sides of the team play relatively differently. Like the starters with Luca play 
entirely differently than the bench does. So it also allows Spencer to play differently when he's playing with the starters and with the bench. Um, and that also allows him to mess with the defense a little bit more because they're conditioned to treat him a certain way when Luke is the guy on the court. And when Luke is not on the court, there's just so many more weapons and you, the defense can't, can't just key in on one guy on the superstar anymore. I think Spencer has done a great job at not letting the defense rest on their laurels, uh, especially these last two games. I'm excited to see what he does against Orlando because um, that game was too difficult. I think for a lot of guys, it also was maybe in the last three games, his worst statistical game. So I, I'm excited to see in that rematch versus Orlando that comes up this week, how those matchups kind of hit him. And if he does struggle, how that affects a guy like Josh or how that affects a guy like Dorian. Um, in the fact that they're going to get more shots on the wing or they're going to get the ball a little more often when Luca's off the court, especially. Um, so I'm excited for it, but largely Spencer this season has been saying and doing all the right things. Yeah, I mean, I think his experiences with Washington um, really have changed him in a way that, uh, again, we have no way of verifying who's uh, who's right and who's wrong uh, with regards to his time in Washington. But it's clear that he's trying to be the best teammate uh, that he can be and play his role uh, as well as he can. Um, and again, I mean, maybe Dinwiddie's on a hot streak right now. I mean, I know we all kind of said that, you know, he shot 40% from three uh, last year with the Mavs. And we all said that that was kind of just like a hot streak. But again, he's shooting 40% uh, with the Mavericks this year. Um, I don't think many of the threes you're taking he's taking are particularly difficult. So maybe that's what's uh, helping his percentage out. Uh, but I mean, yeah, there, it, it, it's great to watch him play because, again, he's got that downhill speed that not many other guys on the team have. Um, and so he's so critical to what they do. I'm surprised he's not getting as many foul calls as he has in the past. Uh, but it's nice to see him continuing to stay aggressive despite that. And and hopefully at some point down the line this season, the the the, the foul calls start coming because uh, that just allows the Mavericks to really score more points. I mean, right now, Luka is the one generating a lot of free throws for the offense. And as a result, the Mavericks are the number one offensive rating in the league at 117.5. They're tied with Boston. So uh, both Dinwiddie and Luka have been a big, big reason for that. And, you know, we used to end our podcast in the past talking about Dirk and singing his praises. I guess now in this era, we got to do that with Luka, who's continuing uh, to show why he's one of the best scorers in NBA history, averaging 36 points per game this year. And against Toronto, a lot of people thought that his 30-point game streak was going to end. Uh, but it continued for an eight straight game. And he really carved up the Raptors and, of course, had that one amazing play uh, where he just spun around um, and threw up this mid-range jump shot after a series of dribbles and spins for one of the nicest splashes you'll ever see. Hit a hook shot in that game. I mean, Luca is just on another level right now. Yeah, he's making he's making baskets that you that you never saw him like breaking out like that before he just has a new move here a new move there that that spin that spin and dribble move turn around fade in the mid-range and he falls to the ground boo 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 
doing the air doing the air pistols or the hand pistols finger pistols uh to the crowd that that those series of moves just did not look like they they didn't look like he was getting anywhere and then he just turns around barely looks at the barely looks at the basket splashes it in it's just it doesn't matter how luca starts the the series of moves once the shot goes up it could, it could just go in and be one of those like orchestral <laughs> like weirdly when he shot shots. that weirdly when he shot that i'm like this is going in because it's Luca, we see him make that shot so or those kind of shots so many times. I mean, <laughs> he reminds me of someone like he reminds me of myself in a way that like um, not the shot making, but just the aimless dribbling. Like a you know, if I'm playing pickup in in lifetime, like trying to create some space of the defender, I'm just dribbling uh, incessantly uh, and throw up a shot, and of course it never goes in. But with Luca's case, like it ends up being one of the prettiest shots that you'll see. Um, so man, I I don't know how long this is going to continue from Luca, but uh, truly truly lucky to watch him every single night because you never know what you're going to get. He's taking a beating on every one of those shots, by the way. Like that that one where he faded and and switched it. Like if you watch the slow mo, he's like pushing off the defender, like trying to make sure he can do the dribble moves. Like he's it reminds me of JJ Barea, honestly. Like mm, yeah, there's there's like not that many guys on this team. That, that I've ever been on this team before that have to do that much work to get the ball to those positions. And like, because Luca is just, what is he? Six, seven, six, eight, 200 something pounds. Like just, just a big boy, um, 230 pounds, six, seven. Like this guy has to like, he's doing so much work and he makes it look like he's not doing work, which is somehow even more impressive. Um, I know in the last episode I said I don't I don't care what numbers Luca gets. Obviously that was hyperbole. Luca is the engine of this team. We live and die by his game. But offensively, like he's only gotten better as the season has gone on. And I'm not even talking about efficiency. I'm just talking about like shot selection, um, him deferring to other guys, what other guys are able to give him. Obviously, I think his playmaking still needs to return to form but i can't complain with him doing this much work um in those okc and uh brooklyn games he got two triple doubles he hasn't gotten a triple double since but i would actually say those games have been his best games this season um i don't know what the correlation is necessarily there uh, a lot of it also might be the amount of minutes that he's playing but since he wasn't in, since he's since he hasn't been in foul trouble in these last three games in the way that he was against OKC, we've also seen him on the court like in his regular bursts, and he's just he's just kind of he's just kind of been dependable even when it doesn't look like he's playing well. It's it's really weird. It really it's really weird. Like. Luke is just one of those guys that's an anomaly on the court. Um, and so I will never actually be able to sit here and say, oh, wow, this is the crazy thing about Luca. This is the crazy thing about Luca that he added here. Because he kind of has had all of it forever. It's just it's just what he's able to pull out of his bag at this moment is truly a guy that is, we're just, we're really lucky to watch play the, the game of basketball. Um, 
that that turnaround shot i know it wasn't a dirk fade but it reminded me of a dirk fade in that dirk would get hacked playing playing up against a smaller defender all the time in those early years and he'd have to do so much work to even get that mid-range shot off over the defender and he would still get you know a lot of people saying oh you're only making that because of your release point there's nothing like that with Luca. It it takes a monumental effort to even get to that shot. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm just glad I'm just glad that Dirk crawled so that Luca could could you know hit that fader in a in a Toronto Raptors player's face. Yeah, I mean the Raptors are such a long team, um, and so for him to just cut them up like he did, I mean Luca. Can't be stopped. He is the only person that can stop himself. So uh, I look forward to seeing what he can do against the the Nets tomorrow. Uh, him and Kevin Durant lead the NBA in points scored with uh, 288 oh. points each. And so I got got some good seats to the game tomorrow. I'm really excited to go watch the Mavericks for the first time this season against uh, probably my second favorite player in the league, which is Kevin Durant. So I'm very excited for that. Makes sense, you know, with all the Twitter burners you have. <laughs> Uh, overly sensitive exterior (laughs) (laughs) you're not wrong about that (laughs) Um, now that you mentioned it though uh in the toronto game i don't know i forgot about this but he was he was picked up by og a lot of that game and og is a very good defender he's a very 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 good defender you don't lose him that often and so luca having that great of a game still maintaining that 30 point streak against the Raptors is more impressive than it even looked like. Uh, I'm excited to see him. I don't, I, I don't think he's going to be any, I don't think it's going to be harder for him against the Nets. Let's put it that way. I don't think they have anybody that can stop him more than OG and Anobi. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to a, another 40 piece from the lad. That, that would be great. Um, and if his three point shot ever catches up, which it seems like it will at some point because the last few seasons, uh, his you know his three point shot caught her on you know in the second half of the season. I mean, well he, against Toronto he was three of six. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he was said 50%. it after the game. Yeah, he said it after the game. Yeah, uh, and I thought it was funny that he you know I think someone asked him. I think it was probably Tim McMahon that asked him like, how did you become so good at shooting the mid range? Because that was something he only added to his game two seasons ago, and he was basically like, someone told me that I couldn't shoot it. Uh, so I decided to start shooting it. And then it was also funny that <laughs> that McMahon tried to press Luca to get him to reveal who it was. Um, but Luca didn't didn't say who. Um allegedly it's not Heralbos Vulgaris or Rick Carlisle, but we'll never know the true answer to that question. maybe it maybe that was why he and Porzingis were rumored to have beef. You never know. Yeah, you never know with these kind of things, but I guess uh shout out to whoever whoever told him he couldn't shoot it because now he is the best mid-range shooter in the game <laughs> which is insane right i know i know i said it like a joke last episode but prime carmelo anthony for real <laughs> <laughs> yeah re- really i mean again i you know i know there's a lot more to basketball than scoring but to me it never gets old watching uh the league's best scorers try to outdo themselves every night so um that's what i look forward to with luca every single game that i watch him and you're going to have a great time watching that Brooklyn game, seeing so many great scorers at like their peak. Yeah, I know. I know. 
Yeah, glad glad Luke. Definitely more than a little jealous. <laughs> yeah, I had this one on my calendar, so I'm glad it worked out. And it's a 845 start time, so I can actually make it on time to the game, which is nice. So um it's gonna be fun. Yeah, yeah. That's a weird it's a weird Monday game, but you know what? Mondays usually are pretty boring, so I'm glad that I have something to look forward to. Yeah. On the flip side though, I do wish the league had games going on on election day because i i'm not trying to not trying to sit at my tv and watch cnn the whole night i'd rather be watching basketball <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, that's goddamn a right. for another day yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right rohan well i yeah. think that's all i got for this one i don't know about you yeah uh I think just going back to what you said in the beginning of the episode, this is going to be a really interesting week for the Mavs. It's, I think, less high stress than the week that we're looking at behind us is. So hopefully the Mavs can come out of this one with the three wins. I don't think that's unreasonable. Yeah, and, you know, the Mavericks, you can't take any team for granted. I will can't emphasize that enough, but the Mavericks do have an opportunity here in the next week to uh, – put up some more wins um, because it's not the strongest of opponents. So fingers crossed that they can take care of business uh, in all four of these next uh, four games. Again, Brooklyn Nets tomorrow night in Dallas. Uh, then on Wednesday, they go to Orlando to play the Magic. Uh, that's a back-to-back. Um, on Thursday, they'll play the Net, or sorry, the Wizards in D.C. And then they'll come back home on Saturday and take on the Portland Trailblazers that, in a game that Damian Lillard may or may not play in. Uh, I think that's something to watch as well. But uh, – yeah, the Mavericks are hopefully starting to hit their stride and we'll find out a lot about them here in this next week and get back to you at the end of the week with our thoughts on how things went. Please don't lose to the Wizards. Yeah, that's that's always their Super Bowl, so it'd be nice to get a win. <laughs> Especially because last season, I would say that losing to the Wizards was the game that pretty much uh, was the nail in the coffin for the Mavericks' hopes of getting the third seed last year. So, um there's some revenge yeah. that, that needs to be had. Definitely. Yeah. Well, Rohan, thanks for joining me on this episode. It was great talking to you as always. And looking forward to talking again at the end of this week. And yep. if you haven't followed us on Twitter for however long this website exists, uh, follow us on <laughs> at Mavs Film Room. We have a website, mavsfilmroom.com, which we may have to start utilizing some more. Uh, of course, we got the podcast that you're listening to right now so appreciate that and and you know subscribe to our feeds on apple Podcasts, spotify wherever you get your podcasts we will be back very soon with another episode verify me musk daddy